look, I want to start this record by doing the James Bond theme song again, oh, but I just God. feel like I've done it too many times now, <laughs> and I just need to stop it. You are so wrong. I've never seen a grown-up so excited about the premiere of a film as you with the new Bond. Do you know what? It was so good. I felt like it completely met, if not exceeded, my expectations. Um, we're talking about No Time to Die, the, the latest Bond film. <laughs> it was everything you want in a Bond film. Now, you know, I hate a long film and it was two and three quarter hours. And I thought when I went in, I thought, mm, this is, there's no way this is going to hold me for two and three quarter hours. Even, even you know, loving this genre, it's not going to hold me. It absolutely it held you in your arms like a little child snuggled me like a yeah it was fantastic <laughs> and it was the action sequences sometimes in a long action film you feel like the action sequences are kind of stretched and padded out it didn't feel like that they were exhilarating the locations were so superb and so brilliantly shot and um the stunts were just, you know, next level. Daniel Craig was fantastic. Like all Bond films, you kind of have to... Um, there's things that you'll find confusing in the plot, but you just have to sort of let go of it and, and just go, okay, fine, this guy's a baddie and he's got poisonous plants. I'm just going to roll with that. It's fine. <laughs> it's I fine. struggle with that so much. I think that's why I'm less of a Bond fan than you because I just think, but what the hang, hang on, the what of it, how did they get there? And, like, I didn't, I didn't think they knew each other. <laughs> yeah, you've got to park all of that at the door and you've got to just enjoy the look of it and the silliness of it and all of that stuff. Like, So it was, it had some great lines like, um, you know, um, Q, I'm going to need you to hack Blofeld's bionic eye. <laughs> <laughs> that is just, uh, that's an art form in itself, isn't it? That kind of technology has the answer. I mean, it's kind of a bit like climate change, really. Like it's just, you know, like in those crime series that are just go on and on and on that never, ever end. And, you know, there's always a detective who says like, I'm going to need you to run that through the national necktie directory to see if there's any matches, you know. Yeah, exactly. Or the let's put that through the tire print database and see exactly, if we get anything yeah. comes up. <laughs> Yeah, there was, a, there was a bit of that kind of stuff going on. Um, but it was also, it was oddly, uh, and I've seen a few people say this, it was oddly emotional because, you know, you know it's Daniel Craig's last Bond and so without giving any spoilers, um, yeah, you kind of, you feel sort of quite invested, surprisingly so, in the character. It also included another of my favourite of the Bond um, devices, which is plenty of shots of his eyes you know the eye lighting the Daniel Craig eye lighting oh person was getting a good workout because there was a lot of great lit shots of Daniel Craig's blue eyes um and it was good apparently um Phoebe Waller-Bridge from Fleabag had, yeah. did some of the script work on it no. and so she did and so the female roles were a little bit different to um you know how the women have been portrayed in Bond in the past. It was nowhere near as sexist as some of the old Bond uh, films. Well, was there any other kind of Phoebe Waller-Bridge touches? Like, did anyone, you know, um, directly address the camera at any point? No. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, shag a hot priest? shag a priest? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, James Bond shagged a priest. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's been a lot of hot um, priests in the, um, in the Bond oeuvre, I've often thought. There were a few good witticisms, none of which I can recall now off the top of my head, except that one about Blofeld's bionic eye. But, yeah, there are a few good witty one-liners. There's um, nothing better than an account of a film that says, there are a couple of very funny moments, all very droll, none of which I can currently remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I'm not spoiling it for anybody. There was That's a great right. bit that made, made me laugh aloud, which was just a visual thing where they 
close to the start of the film they do this most extraordinary chase sequence through this town in Italy Um, and it's one of those kind of stoned walled towns Um, it has multiple tiers it's like built into the side of a a mountain and um, this motorbike chase is extraordinary including this bit where it fully leaps from one tier of the village up to the next tier just (laughs) unbelievable anyway um, when the sequence ends Bond's basically after this unbelievable chase sort of pulls the motorbike up at frantic speed at the front of this doorway and he just kind of elegantly, I mean, that dude just walks like a panther. He kind of just elegantly drops the motorbike on the ground and then does that cuff-straightening thing. (laughs) And then just walks through the door like as if he's just, you know, stood up from a dining table or something. So it's full of moments. Like, I just guffaw at things like that. I just love those silly tropes. Um, And also the song, I mean, I know I've banged on at length before about Bond songs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You really have love. <laughs> okay, thirty seconds on the song. Okay, go. <laughs> Bond songs and Bond titles. Um, I don't think the titles are as good as Casino Royale, and I don't think the song is as good as Skyfall. But nonetheless, it's a very it's a very solid stab at a Bond song. Um, <laughs> and musical people will know what I mean when I say this: that they make really good use throughout the film of their famous Bond augmented ninth chord, which is the chord I that see. you hear at the end of um, the original Bond theme and at the end of Skyfall. And they use it as like a uh, sort of full stop after certain scenes when they're moving location, you just get the sort of creepy (laughs) kind of Bond chord. Um, And, yeah, it's sort of, it's good. In fact, the the old film Austin Powers makes good use of that trope. They don't use that particular chord, but they have a little musical sting in the film Austin Powers between scenes, and it's just, it's such a good thing to imitate from that kind of um, genre. So anyway, I absolutely, in case it's not clear, I absolutely loved it, and I think you'd walk away going, well, that's about the most value for money $20 I've spent this year. (laughs) And do you wish a little bit that you could walk like a panther? Oh, I would love to walk like a panther. I wish I had a distinctive walk. What sort of animal, if you had, if someone likened your walk to an animal, what do you think they'd say? Oh, probably a bantam. <laughs> Some sort of directionless chicken. I'm a real, I'm a real ditherer. Like I'm a kind of, I'm walking across the kitchen to get this and then I remember that I need to, you know, take the bin out or something. Like I, oh, okay. if you tracked my walking around my home, you would assume that I was very drunk the whole time. Right. I think. Yeah. No, you're just a little chicken pecking. Oh, I'm a chicken pecking, but I'd like to stride with purpose, you know. I often think, um, you know, like you see those people walking into court and they get filmed, you know. Oh, and I guess yeah. if you're a lawyer, like if you're a QC, you'd really have to perfect that walk because Absolutely. you've got to look purposeful, you've got to look powerful. I would look like I would fall over, that would be one thing, and then I would yeah. dr- drop all my papers, that would be the other thing. Like I cannot yeah. get from A to B without looking like a shambles, and I think one day legally that's going to hurt me. I fell up the stairs at my book launch for Tiny Delotion. Stumbled up the stairs, ran up and said, Would you please welcome Lisa? And I was like, And did you, was it like John Howard in 1996 where he kind of like jumped up and went, Shazam! Like he kind of did this whole, like, hey! Because like, often I think the person who's done a a classic blunder in front of thousands of people, like, will try and overcompensate and do the whole, like, I'm fine! Is that what you did? Or did you just feel the shame burn? I just felt the shame burning. I wish I could do what my seven-year-old does, which is when he takes a stack, he turns it into a forward roll and then stands up. Oh, that's amazing. It's very involved. 
wrong like, right? Yeah, so your kid just, is just outrageous enough to do that and get away yeah, with it. He yeah, he takes a stack and then he rolls somehow and makes <laughs> it look kind of cool. But the panther, the panther walk that Daniel Craig has in that film, it's not – it doesn't look purposeful. It looks casual. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that kind of casual. I think yeah. when you have physical elegance, it's just, it's sort of a bit, I don't know if it can be trained. Like, I don't know if you can acquire physical elegance. You often see it in people who use their muscles every day to, Definitely. you know, in dance or, um, you know, in sport. You can see that this activity that they do all the time has sort of shaped their stance yeah. Um, and it's – I really envy that, actually, because it's yeah. quite striking. Mm. I agree. Daniel Craig has this kind of fluidity where, like, he'll duck down behind a wall or something or he'll reach into his pocket and he has, like, this real fluid movement. And yeah. as you say, you know, actors are very aware of every muscle and, and whatnot too. Um, like Lin- like Lyndon Watts, who plays Aaron Burr in the um, yeah. Sydney production of Hamilton, is just – that man is like a fluid. Like, he just sort of – he flows yeah. from A to B. It's absolutely – mind yeah. yeah, I'd love to have that. I think I'm more like a little sparrow, like nervously darting around. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're both sort of powerless birds, basically. <laughs> We've established that. That is heartening, isn't it? But anyway, Bond was great. Amazing. Bond was great, yeah. Did you, I thought Jeremy was going to go and see it. Did he? Has he seen it yet? Yes, he seemed to uh, strong views. I think from he took oh, some okay. children to see it. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well. Yeah, and I, I definitely will go and see it. I think um, I'm not um, against it. I'm, you know, but I, I do find a lot of those movies seem to me just to be essentially v- quite vapid plots that are a kind of excuse to string together some truly spectacular action sequences, and there's nothing wrong with that. It was but, a bit. It was a little bit like that, but not um, too much. I thought it actually was a bit better than that. Um, it's interesting now for people in Sydney and Melbourne with lockdown lifting. You know that we're now kind of returning to um, a few sort of you know live kind of things because that was the first time I actually that was the second time I'd been to the cinema in a really long time. The first time was the week before I went to see the new Sopranos film, which I think is called The Saints of Newark. Um, I'm not going to talk a huge amount about it. I just wanted to say, because I think everyone who listens to this pod regularly would know that The Sopranos is, you know, one of my favourite television shows. Yeah. not my favourite of all time. Um, I'd say about that film, it's one for the fans of The Sopranos. It, it fills in some backs, some sort of good backstory material. You get to see some of the roots of Tony's anxiety. You get to understand a bit more about his mother and his relationship with his mother. But I think if you weren't quite familiar with The Sopranos, you'd find it okay. But I think for a fan, if it had lots of levels and it was really like a lot of nods to various bits and pieces. So if you're a fan of The Sopranos, you will love that. If you're not, yeah. It's Stand by for like thousands of podcasts that are deep, deep, deep in the weeds with The Sopranos, having a great oh, amount of fun with that. <laughs> I wouldn't inflict it on you, even though, you know, I do love to inflict it. <laughs> well, I do like it, but I haven't watched it for a while. So I often think I should go back and rewatch it, but, you know. Well, you yeah. can thank me because I went with a friend who's also just an obsessive Sopranos tragic, <laughs> and then she and I dissected the living hell out of it so that you wouldn't have to endure that. Oh, that's <laughs> so sweet. I will accept that as an early Christmas present. Um, <laughs> look, I went um, back to the theatre last night. I went because, um, you know, I snuck in another Hamilton um, a couple of yes, weeks ago. But I went to Belvoir last night to see Virginia Gay's Christmas pantomime. Yes. Oh, now, what's it called again? It's called Boomcack. That's and right. Boomcack is the name of a town. The whole thing's set in an Australian town. And as soon as the lights came up, or like as soon as I took my seat and saw the set, I just laughed and laughed because 
The set's great and it looks like a sort of a quiet bit of any Australian country town. It looks like the side of the pizza parlour in the town that I grew up and I remember when that pizza parlour opened it was a moment of great excitement. Um, just sort of like a wall with kind of like really hardy grasses just sort of like burrowing up through cracks in the concrete a couple of sort of sulo recycling bins and just it just looked like you know a small boring town which is exactly what Boomkak is right and so the storyline is you know, there's an evil developer coming in to kind of, you know, build high-density housing. It's unclear what he's going to do. But there's kind of a small knot of villagers who want to resist, and so they put on a show. Like, it's the most cheesy kind of premise. It's kind of... The whole thing is kind of a, um, a bit of a piss take of pantomime culture. So there's... Where they decide to put on a pantomime... Virginia Gay, who is the wife of this sort of self-fancying actor played by Toby Truslove, very hilariously, steps up and she gives this monologue of how she used to work in Panto in London and she shares the most horrifying memories of the terrible things that happened. <laughs> it is the funniest <laughs> part of the show. It's like classic gay. It's very, very funny and detailed. And like there's one point where she talks about how, you know, they had to unpack the costumes that just arrived in a shipping crate, packed together. They never, ever washed from production to production. They just kind of hang around, oh, getting yeah. shipped around the British country, countryside. And she's, she's seriously traumatised and she says, there isn't enough Febreze to correct this in the world. Anyway, it's hilarious. Anyway, it's um, Toby Trostlow's very good. Zoe Tarakis is in it as the um, kind of the surprise romantic lead. And they're an actor you might remember from Janet King and from Wentworth. They played Reb Keen. Um, and uh, it's a great performance. Very, very charming and kind of compelling and kind of contributes to this sort of panto and romance story that's like very different from the standard one, but like funny and stupid and, you know, lots of rouseabout laughs and good singing and even audience participation, which I normally loathe, but actually, you know, was, was pretty fun. Anyway, it was a sort of a great, you know, way to come back into the theatre and just be rollicked a bit. There's a bit of a rollicking yeah. feel. And you can't not love Virginia Gay in anything, basically. And oh, she's, she's, so she's come back from L.A. and written two shows, like this one, and um, one that I think, well, was going to be in Melbourne but got um, shelved for COVID, but I think may reappear, um, which would be pretty tremendous. Right. Um, yeah, I'm desperately keen to try to find a free night to go to that, but with 7.30 taking up so many nights, it's very difficult. Well, you've got the worst day job in the world in a way. I mean, it's a great job, but also means that you can't get to see theatre very much, right? Yeah, it's just hard to find, you know, between kids and a night job, it's hard to find nights to be able to get to stuff. I know, I see you got stitched up for going to the Bond premiere on a perfectly oh, legitimate... Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I an annual leave so I could see a film that I have been desperate to see for two years. I used my hard-earned leave and then got a touch-up in the newspaper for daring to have a, mm. have a day off. <laughs> Every other person, apparently every other worker in the country is allowed to use their annual leave and do whatever they like. 
And I'm not allowed to use my annual leave to actually have fun. I should be just at home studying up on, you know, Middle Eastern politics or something. Oh, no. I love there was also a review of your lipstick in that particular column that made me shriek with laughter. Really? <laughs> I what did it say? I don't know. There was something about, like, you know, that your bold use of pink lipstick had paid <laughs> off because pictures of you ran in various... Oh. I, just, I was just... <laughs> Sobbing with laughter, just thinking, yes, I'm pretty sure that would have been part of the strategy. Sneak away from work, apply a particularly provocative shade of lipstick and just watch the coverage roll in. I am going to make the roundup of Daily Mail attendees at the Bond premiere if it's the last thing I do. If I have to wear this hot pink lipstick, I will do it. I know. Um, Anyway, and this sort of idea that you'd sort of sneaked out when you'd been absolutely crapping on on every social media, you know... (laughs) Here I am, I'm at the bum thing, it's amazing, oh my god, I love it. Anyway, whatever. Back to crime. I feel like we've been watching lots of like crime, suspense, action things in the last couple of weeks, just from yes. vague conversation with you. And can I tell you yes. about that? I've, 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 have I told you about my addiction to billions yet? Now, I was addicted to billions like when it started. Now I've gone off it. But now you've come to it, have you? What season well, you're up to? I seem to remember that you kind of told me to watch it. So, of course, I never did. Um, and then I sort of accident. I just sort of fell over in the shower and there it was, basically. It was like a classic accident. I don't know. I started watching it. And I okay. thought, I will hate this, right? I thought, right. I'm going to hate this because it's a bunch about dickhead. It's a film about dickheads who work in <laughs> sort of a, you know, just the, all they are is just money they're just trading money they're traders and they're kind of like yeah well my biggest swinging dick and you know it's true a lot of it is that um right. but I sort of got sucked into the kind of psychology of it um and the secret lives of the people involved um obviously Paul Giamatti that's the guy who plays the kind of um prosecutor right um, yes, Rhodes. Yes, Rhodes. Rhodes. Rhodes and, he's, yeah. and, like, it's got all the hallmarks. And, again, this is why. Why do I even like it? I don't know. I'm so weird. It's got all the hallmarks of a show that's written by dudes, right? Because uh, for the first few episodes, I was just absolutely pissing myself laughing because, like, essentially it's like this man struggle between two powerful men. Paul Giamatti, who plays the prosecutor, and um, Daniel Lewis, who plays – or is it Damien Lewis? It's Damien Lewis, Damien Lewis. Um, who's a terrific actor. But he plays this sort of um, Axelrod, who's this sort of – super rogue trader sails a little close to the wind makes a new, huge amount of money and he's in his trading firm it's just like all these dudes flying around you know kind of making really off-color jokes and stuff and yeah. both of their wives the two powerful men both have wives who a kind of look after all the kids um and b they're also just really hot and also just really into whatever their husbands are doing right so like <laughs> wendy rhodes who's a great actor too um but she is she um is in a plot twist works for axelrod as a psychiatrist and sort of team builder and performance coach and she in her spare time is kind of like a bondage mistress she's a dominatrix who kind of looks after her husband's um rather rococo sexual tastes which is that he's kind of like a submissive he's into sort of um b and d and he likes to be sort of beaten up a little bit so she kind of takes care of that as well um so 
it's just like it makes me laugh because I just think, oh my god, these these chicks are like dream wives because they're kind of super <laughs> hot. They're totally across everything with the kids, but they'll also dress up and you know beat you um, if that's what you're into as well. <laughs> it gets a bit complicated in in later series, but so the answer to the question of why I like it is still unresolved. I don't know. I think it's just it's um, beautifully shot. It's quite tense. It involves a world that I have nothing to do with, so I find that prurient kind of curiosity. Um, And also just the performances are incredible. Now, one of the things that happens in, I think, the second series is that they introduce a um, non-binary character. Yeah, that character, they are great. Yeah, and and I thought, because I read about that, and I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be unbearable because there'll be some sort of, like, thrown-in character that's supposed to sort of somehow make them a bit more right-on, like, in the face of all of this, you know, ridiculous blokey stuff. But actually, um, and the actors called Asia Kate Dillon, I haven't seen them in anything before, but um, they are just, like, a completely compelling character. And also, what I really like about it is from the first moment... The issue is not their gender identity or whatever. They're just this quite extraordinary um, talent in the yeah, organisation. That, that yeah, that character lifts the series. Really, oh, it's amazing because yeah. they come in really, really um, junior and sort of from nowhere and then have this prodigious talent at, you know, yeah. picking markets. And then there's this huge kind of tension between their essential good nature and the dreadful things that they're kind of, you know, obliged to do to make money. And then there's the issue of their kind of um, absolute acceleration professionally and how they then are kind of a challenge to Axelrod, the main money man. So it is this sort of, I kind of, I I was surprised that that character was incorporated in a way that um, was actually really intriguing and not cringeworthy. And um, yeah. yeah, it's a long time since I've watched this series, so I can't remember all the specifics about why yeah. I liked it and so forth. But I definitely remember that that character Ooh. was a real boost. It took the show to the next level. But um, it, it's partly because Axe, because he's rich and powerful, he's mostly surrounded by sycophants who yeah. sort of do his bidding, with the exception of that programmer and um, the psychiatrist woman. Because sorry, I just can't remember anyone's names. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But um, the she sort of speaks truth to him in their sessions, and so yeah. she's a highly valued employee for him because you know she's one of the few people who speaks the truth to him, and so he keeps her on even though she's the wife of his arch nemesis, the sitting prosecutor. Yeah. Um, and then the other, the programmer, basically also is a, a very kind of almost like not belligerent but very firm about this is what I want and this is I will do this and I will do that but I won't do this and has very kind of clear and firm boundaries and will push back on acts really um, stridently and he's also not used to that and so that's those those two characters are very compelling. But I think from my memory the thing I liked the most about it was – Paul Giamatti and Damien Lewis both embody the characters so well and it's like these two tigers kind of circling each other the entire time. I remember the season finale of season one is the first time they kind of meet face to face. Yeah. Encounter, but I remember at the time too. All everyone would talk about when you talked about someone who liked billions. It, the question would be, "Are you Team Axe or Team Rose?" <laughs> well, and I think the genius of it is that you do 
you kind of go backwards and forwards, right? You um, do, yeah. yeah. But I think, look, I'm, I'm into series five now. Um, and I'm starting to get sick of it. Oh, wow, yes. you've really burnt through it. I know, right? I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. Um, but um, I think I've been sort of not sleeping all that well, and so I've been watching them sometimes in the middle of the night. So okay, um, you're way ahead of me. I've only watched. Yeah, this. but it's got. It's actually got to the point where there's been so many plot twists now that it's getting a bit ridiculous, and um, and also they've got that bond thing going on where you're just a bit like, sorry, but what? How did you? How are you now? How are you now the Attorney General of the United States? <laughs> you were in jail a minute ago. Go. like you're just like what anyway so but anyway on, it's, um, it's great on, on crime dramas that you burn through um i have been waiting and waiting to watch line of duty season six um and i watch it with a friend of mine pam and because of basically lockdowns and travel and mm. various different things we only got around to be it's been out since april and we only watched it two weekends ago and we just sort of set aside the weekend to have <laughs> six episodes in one go this is the british crime procedural that i've loved for a few um years oh it was great we just really enjoyed it it's, it was more of the same so if, if you've enjoyed seasons the one three five of line of duty it just com- com- it keeps fulfilling expectations basically we didn't uh love the finale we Ooh. felt like the last episode was a little bit of a letdown um oh i could just imagine the tisk tisking that would have taken place between you and pam oh, there, was that a, there was a debrief that continued late into the night and picked up again the next morning around our, <laughs> our dissatisfaction with certain aspects of that but overall we enjoyed it but speaking of season finales that are real letdowns um the other hot topic um du jour among my friends and i was the absolute fall off a cliff of season two of morning wars and how dreadful the season finale is yeah i um I thought that the season two was shaky on a number of levels, um, but I still persisted with it because I just, I'm invested. And also it's just such ridiculous popcorn, right? Like it's, you know, and there's nothing more fulfilling than ridiculous popcorn about an industry that's slightly allied to your own, right? Like, I mean, it's just fun because if you were, you know, if you were a sports coach, you would have loved Friday Night Lights, right? Like, and so Morning Wars is sort of, feeling smug about all the ridiculousness in your industry to which you're not personally party there's no better feeling um but look it sort of went all over the shop in season two i actually fell asleep during the finale that's never a good scene is it i mean it just got so it got so daft and i'm like why are we in italy are we in italy because um of some kind of tourism promotion i suspect you know nauseously that we might be it was just yeah the whole oh, yeah. just dropped plot threads that never were picked up and i mean i felt like it sort of descended into fairly early in season two it was a very soapy-ish like dynasty or dallas absolutely but yeah early, it was days of our lives it, it had really kind of jumped the shark do you know what really annoyed me jennifer aniston's back pain i just thought oh just <laughs> like go and like have a strong painkiller or something oh my god that was, was supposed pointless to be- as well yeah that pointless. Was, serves no purpose in the narrative whatsoever or what about in the last episode reese witherspoon parading the streets handing out flyers about her lost brother mm. um, when she's like one of the most famous women on american television <laughs> just wandering the streets like no you know yeah. it's kind of handing out flyers what you probably got two million people and following you on social media and then she and Corey, the md popping into the COVID-ridden emergency ward of that hospital and neither of them wearing a mask. (laughs) 
Oh, no. I mean, it's just, well, spoilers everywhere here, but who cares because it's ridiculous. Anyway, but that said, I don't regret the time that I spent watching it. I made it, you know, I I opted in. I was, you know, I was a voluntary conscripted person. Like, I, you know, I don't regret it, but, oh, my God, people. Anyway, just goes to show you can have a billion dollars and excellent stars and still just, wow, not get it right. (laughs) Just quick things I wanted to give a shout-out to that we've talked about before, but one is – Succession season three, which oh, yeah. I'm up to speed on now, which I don't know if I was far into it when last we spoke. Um, continue. I mean, the quality of that compared to Morning Wars, which I was watching simultaneously, it's just chalk and cheese. It's yeah. so good and it's just so massively entertaining. Loving it. Um, and I also can't remember if when last we spoke I'd started it, but you talked about it at length, so I won't go on about it. But I did read How to End a Story by Helen Garner, <laughs> which I put up there in her among her all-time best, I thought it was a phenomenal, unputdownable piece of writing. Uh, it is actually like a tr- crime drama. I mean, it's so gripping and it's just, yeah, well, the things that I th- think about those diaries as a whole are amazing how little her writing style has changed, like how pungent and unmistakable her writing has been over decades and that's an extraordinary thing I, it, and it speaks to her strength of character I think that she Amazing. developed her own style at a time where she was unsure if she was doing the right thing or whether her writing was even important or whether it you know um, mattered but to stick to that and to um, and to persist so brilliantly and wait for the world to come to you is quite um, an amazing quality, I think. Um, before we're done with, with crime, because I know we're running out of time, um, I've been listening to the um, Fallen Idol podcast about Oscar Pistorius. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, it's really, really good. So okay. I kind of came across it because um, I thought – I think I was running or something and I was thinking about running and then I was thinking for some reason about running on blades and I was thinking about Oscar Pistorius. This <laughs> is very weird series of thoughts. Um, and then I thought, I just don't, I don't think I really ever understood that story. Well, it's interesting that no one's ever done a really good podcast about that story. And then I thought, I'll just check if one has, and then sure enough, like a month or two ago, this whole podcast is lobbed called Fallen Idol about Oscar Pistorius. So I went, I'll download that straight away. And the reason it's good is because like, it's always like the reporting is always focused on him and like, you know, what was in his mind and everything. And, and, Poor old Reva Steenkamp, who was killed, you don't really find out much about her except that she was a model and that she was his girlfriend. So this um, series actually takes you right back to um, the beginning of um, Paralympic kind of consciousness in South Africa, what was going on in South Africa at the time, the background of this sort of um, atmosphere of, you know, fear of a black intruder, which is essentially what he was sort of relying on for his defence. And um, it's just a really great historical snapshot of South Africa, where it was at the time, what role sport played, what role Oscar Pistorius as this sort of avenging hero played um, for both black and white um, South Africans. And um, Sasanki Amsamang, who is um, an Australian writer of South African heritage, um, who I really, really like, is actually, um, randomly, 
on the podcast as a commentator. Like she talks about that period of South African history and she's such a perceptive person that like her presence in this podcast really enriches it and made it. Yeah, it's great. It's really absorbing. Fascinating. Now, um, Gwenny texted us to say, make sure um, on the podcast today that you talk about um, some of the Christmas merchandise that's available. So if you go to the Chat 10 website, there are some uh, acrylic brooches. (laughs) You could make them sound better. There are some acrylic brooches. Well, they are bunt brooches and monster brooches. And like... Gwen is just a maniac. I don't know how she gets all this stuff done. It's ridiculous. Anyway, there's a few doormats left, which is amazing because I feel like surely every person associated with Chat 10 has bought one of those doormats. No, they just – and she can't – like, so – Gwen set up this new system now, which is actually, it's super Gwen, but it's also super easy. So, like, if you go to the website and there's something that you want, but it's out of stock at the moment, because the lady who makes the um, doormats in WA, she can only, like, print them at a certain rate, right? So, there's always a bit of a backlog. But Gwen's now got this thing where you can sign up for the wait list. And so, as soon as it becomes available again, you know, it'll just put you in touch. So, it's actually really low effort. So have a look. There's some um, cushions with that Chat 10 fabric. There's some of those egg topper thingies and lots of other um, bits and pieces, wine cups and various things. Those so, wine cups are so good. I mean, They yeah. sold out twice already. <laughs> just getting some more in before Christmas. So if you go over to the Chat 10 website and have a look at that, you can. And then the other thing to tell people about is um, – I cannot believe that I can't believe we've done this. And I hate to even raise it for fear of jinxing it, but on Friday the 10th of December, we're doing our end of year show at Canberra, which is always a really fun um, gig. We usually take the piss out of the ANU Vice Chancellor, Brian Schmidt, who introduces us because we do it at ANU. Why does it keep Um, showing up? We talk about our favourite culture from the year. You, if you have time, usually write a 12 Days of Christmas um, (laughs) take on the year that was. Anyway, we because of COVID social distancing, the venue can only fit you know, sort of small number of people in it. So we've done this um, thing which, you know, kind of violates the history of Chat 10 having crappy um, production values, which is we've hired a professional production crew to come in and do a live stream of it. So it's Friday, December the 10th at 7.30pm. So if you can't attend the Canberra live show in person, you can be anywhere in the world, in fact, yep. and buy a ticket to this live stream. It's 20 bucks. You can get the tickets through Bettercast. So better as in B-E-T-T-E-R cast. So just Google Chat 10 looks three better cast and you can buy a ticket so you can join the live show and watch the live show live yeah it's kind of i mean it's been so sad over the last two years the number of shows that we've had to cancel and um a big shout out by the way to those venues because all of them have been so helpful and so understanding and also all the ticket holders who had to be sort of refunded and disappointed everybody's been super understanding about it so thank you and um we do look forward to resuming a proper live show kind of schedule when we can but this show basically is about um trying to include everybody in this end of the year show which is always good fun and usually with that live show at the end of uh, in december somebody sort of does a wonky recording and like, sort of pops it up but this time you can watch it at the same time and everyone can join in and it will be unlike our crappy normal facebook lives it'll actually be It'll be a high quality enterprise. So we've got a few surprises for that show. So do come and join us and, um, you know, tune in. Get a little crowd. You you could only need to buy one thing and pack some people into your house. It'll be fun. Yeah, exactly. That's true. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Right. Better, Better dash. Talk to you later. All right. See you, buddy. 
See ya.